Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Continuing our study in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Thus far in chapter 4, the main themes have been uh, unity in the body of Christ and diversity in the body of Christ. And last time we started to see a third theme uh, that we'll see a lot more of today, that being maturity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ, diversity in the body of Christ, maturity in the body of Christ. So follow as I read Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read verses 11 through 16. This is the Word of God. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes." Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Uh, So last time we worked through verses 11 and 12. Verse 11 describes various ministries of God's Word. Uh, Verse 12 describes the goals of these ministries of the Word, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. This week and next, we will focus in verses 13 through 16, which really further develop verses 11 and 12. Uh, This week, verse 13 and 14. Next week, 15 and 16. Let's start by looking at uh, 12 and 13 together. God gave these ministries of the Word to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. So verse 12 describes the goals of these ministries of the Word. Verse 13 describes the end to which these goals are heading. Uh, You may remember that in the first six verses of this chapter... Paul described the unity that has already been established in Christ. We're one body together uh, with one spirit, one Lord, one faith, etc., etc. And in verse 3, we're called to maintain that unity that God has established. We're not the creators of the unity. God is, but we are the maintainers. We have a responsibility to seek to maintain the unity that God created. Um, Another way to think about this is that the unity has been established in the heavens, but we have a responsibility to make it visible on earth. Um, so in, in one sense, the unity has already been established in Christ, but in another sense, it's not yet perfected. It's not, been yet, it's not yet been made perfectly visible in the body of Christ. Um, that's the way we should really think about verse 13. It says that we have not yet attained this unity, but one day we will. Uh, This equipping of the saints for the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ will continue until we have uh, attained this perfected unity of the faith, this perfected unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. There is already unity. We share the same faith, the same knowledge of Christ, but our, our unity is not yet as mature as it will be 
in the end, uh, when it will be perfected. So at the end, the entire church for all time uh, will have attained perfected unity of the faith and perfected unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Uh, Let me further explain what Paul meant by the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, and I think it will help this make more sense. When Paul talks about the faith, he's talking about an objective set of truths to believe. Uh, He's not talking about faith like the act of believing. He's talking about the faith, referring to a body of truth, uh, truths that we would believe. The same is true about the knowledge of the Son of God. He's talking about an objective set of truths to be believed about Jesus. Uh, Colossians 2 helps us here, so turn to Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Just a couple pages to the right. Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Uh, This is also Paul writing. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul is not talking about the way that maybe we would tend to think about that, like receiving Him in your heart. Uh, He's talking about that they received and believed particular truths about Jesus, and he's calling them to be rooted and further rooted and built up in those truths. Um, They received and believed particular truths that Paul calls the faith. Church history points us to something called the regula fide, uh, which was during the time of the apostles. It means the rule of faith. Remember, the Scriptures are still in the process at this time of being recorded, written down, passed around, compiled. But they had the regula fide, this uh, body of truth that was agreed upon by the apostles. So it wasn't just gunslinging. Like, there was some organization to this. And the apostles said, this is the body of truth. This is the faith. And uh, it's very likely that in order to become a Christian and, and join the church, you would have to affirm... These truths, you know, yes, I believe all of these things to be true. Uh, a bit of an aside, I think it would be a good idea for the church to go back to this, at least in some capacity, uh, maybe make this a part of the membership process or whatever. But, you know, like our statement of faith would, would be kind of like what maybe they had. If you go on our website, look at the statement of faith, just truths that we're affirming, uh, kind of core truths. So maybe you take the statement of faith and you walk it through with whoever it is that's come for membership, and as each point is explained and taught where needed, kind of have each person affirm at each point, yes, I believe these things to be true. Just a thought. Um, So in Colossians 2, Paul is telling these Colossian believers to be further rooted and built up in those same truths that they believed at first, to grow higher and deeper in Christ. Uh, to become more firmly planted in the truths that they were taught in the beginning. Such is the path to Christian maturity. You know, not necessarily moving on to new truths, but growing deeper and higher in the old truths. Well, what truths were they uh, that Paul's talking about? We don't exactly know what he had in mind here. Um, We know that they were consistent with what we find in the New Testament because 
again, uh, the regular fide served as a sort of grid to compile the New Testament. Like, if it's outside of this box, <clears throat> it ain't going. You know, if there's a proposed letter or a letter that was circulating, then they'd get a hold of it and read it. And if it didn't match with what were the agreed upon body of truth, then it's out. Um, it's likely that the Apostles' Creed developed out of this, out of this rule of faith. Um, so, you know, it's probably similar to the Apostles' Creed. And at least the Apostles' Creed serves as a good summation of Christian teaching. Uh, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Uh, he, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, etc., etc. Uh, the Apostles' Creed talks about the one true God who alone created heaven and earth, about His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, fully man, fully God. He lived in history. He died a real historical death on a real cross. He was buried in a real tomb. He really came back from the dead and he was seen by 500 or more real people. Um, it, it goes on to talk about the fact that he ascended back to heaven where he is now enthroned. It also talks about uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, eternal life, you know, core Christian teachings. So, back to Ephesians, uh, when Paul says that God has given these ministries of the Word to uh, build up the body until we all attain that unity of the faith and the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. He's looking to the end. He's saying we're unified in these truths right now in the faith. Uh, we're unified in a common body of truth, but we're not yet perfectly unified in these truths. The church is somewhere between infancy and mature manhood. Every believer is somewhere between infancy and mature manhood. Uh, one day at the end, we will attain this perfected unity where the entire church is in full agreement uh, and full embrace of all things true. In fact, our text says that the church will attain the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That doesn't mean we will be Jesus, but it does mean that when we're all together at the end before Christ, we will not only be with Him, but we will be like Him, uh, both individually and corporately. We will be the perfect reflection that He designed us to be. Until then, there's more equipping, there's more building up to be done, there's more maturing, more fighting to maintain unity, etc. So look at verse 14. God gave these ministries of the Word to equip and build up so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Uh, to say it more simply, God gave these ministries of the truth to equip the saints and build up the body so that we would no longer be tossed around and carried away by false teaching. So sometimes uh, in the Bible, being like a child is good, right? Jesus calls us to come to Him as a child with humility and abandon. Uh, sometimes being like a child is not good. Like children take candy from strangers and uh, they lack discernment and they're easily deceived. So, I mean, even this week, you know, Levi was being a terrorist and uh, there was this woman that noticed and was like, she was helping, but she said... If you don't go back to your mommy, I'm going to take you home with me, which is kind of creepy, but she was like, <clears throat> she was helping, you know. 
And so, but he was like, that's a great idea. And Tiffany's like, you would not like it if a stranger took you. He said, yes, I would. You know, perfect example. They're easily deceived. They don't get it. They like discernment. Um, <clears throat> so here in this passage, we are called to grow past spiritual childhood into spiritual adulthood. Uh, this reminded me, at least the um, imagery reminded me of Psalm 1. <clears throat> Psalm 1. So listen as I read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law or the word of the Lord. And on his word he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff or tumbleweed that the wind drives away. So if you take the imagery of those two verses together, Um, the, The spiritually mature man or woman is like a tree planted by water yielding fruit. Uh, They might get beaten and battered during the storm, but they're going to stay put during the storm. They're like a large ship with a good rudder that stays its course during the storm. The spiritual child is like a small ship with no rudder that is tossed to and fro in the waves. And, And the storm here in our passage is false teaching. They're tossed by the waves of false teaching, like tumbleweed that is carried away in the windstorm of false teaching. So how does this maturity come? Uh, The Word, Psalm 1, not walking, standing, or sitting in the way of sin, but by delighting in and meditating on God's Word day and night. Ephesians 4, God gave these ministries of the Word to... Equip the saints, building up the body so that we're no longer like spiritual children tossed to and fro by the false teaching, but would become spiritual adults, firmly planted, staying on course in the truth, bearing fruit because we are rooted and built steady and strong in God's Word. Um, Psalm 1 really talks about more of the individual responsibilities. Each person walking not in the counsel of wicked and way of sin, but each person meditating uh, on God's Word day and night. Ephesians talks, Ephesians talks more about the corporate aspect. Uh, God has given these ministries of the Word uh, fit with those who shepherd and preach and teach according to His Word in order to build up the body so that individually and corporately we would uh, resist false teaching and grow to maturity. So, let's think about some implications and... Uh, applications of what we see in our passage. First, ideas have consequences. Uh, What a person believes drives the way a person lives. Uh, Maturity comes by being rooted and built up in the truth. Disobedience and destruction come from belief in false teaching. And I think it's important that we know there is no neutral ground. Uh, everything a person believes is either consistent with truth or is opposed to truth. And there is no, like, gray area in there. Chris, I wanna, Go ahead. I want to ask here. I think, okay. um, I think about when somebody changes course in their actions, their thoughts, their mind. So, for me, my language would be transformative language, transformative action. And so this is speaking to that. Uh, this is speaking to, as you grow in maturity, you will see that transformation happens. And when as a child, when I act as a child and become an adult, so yeah. there's, a, there's a maturing of that. But if we have an adult that has been exposed 
to the truth, their life. Their life has been exposed to them. They're professing to be a believer. And yet we see basically a complete lack of transforming uh, with certainly their actions and mostly and, and just as much with their with their words because you know we, we speak what we feel inside. I'm getting to the question here. If we see an adult that has been exposed to this and we don't see any of that transformation happening, um, my, I'm just trying to seek it from the scripture. Mm-hmm. Is it saying that they're, they're not they're not actually well, participating the kingdom? I think we all are disobedient to some degree and sure. I think that all of that disobedience is driven by believing in something that is not true. Uh, so I think the better way to approach it, at least immediately, is to at least see that this disobedience is being driven by false uh, you know, belief in something false. And so what I would be concerned to do is get below the surface of what you can see and find out what, what root things are driving this direction and tend to the roots. Because a lot of times we just want to address the surface change this behavior, change that behavior, but the reality is, unless the root issues change, the behavior is not going to change. So I would be concerned to sit down and kind of probe a little bit what's going on in your heart and what are you believing and what are you trusting. Um, I'm going to say some more about this, and when we get to the end, if that hasn't satisfied, bring it back up, okay? Um, Again, there's no neutral ground. You're either opposed or you're with... uh, for example, and this is just a little thought experiment that I know is relevant to many, but um, let's say you have a friend in a really hard marriage, and they haven't been clicking for years, and if they're honest, they've never really clicked. Uh, they're both Christians, they're just not a good match, you know? No infidelity or anything, it's just like um, they, they're just missing each other on everything. I mean, communication's bad, sex is bad, honestly, they really just don't like each other. Um, it's obviously caused a lot of frustration, but they're past the point of frustration. They're finally at peace with the fact that they know they just weren't meant to be. They can finally agree on something, and they agree that divorce is the best way to go. Uh, they've pretty much decided, but your friend wants to know what you think, and what do you say? Um, you know, these are, I try to kind of layer it with the complexity of the language that will be used. We're at peace with it, you know. But if your ideas are consistent with the truth, there's no way you can agree in this scenario that I've described that divorce is the best option because biblically it's not an option at all. And, and we know certain things that would drive us to that conclusion, um, not only the parameters that God sets in marriage, but also marriage isn't just about our happiness. It's more about our holiness than it is our happiness. Um, and just because they feel at peace with disobedience doesn't mean it's any less disobedient or destructive. So on and so forth. So um, wherever someone is walking against the ways of God, they're believing a lie, and that, that lie or belief in that lie is driving disobedience. So the cultural sewage that we're living in has been created by widespread belief in false teaching. One of the great lies that has filled the sewer is the claim that uh, personal happiness is ultimate. And it's, it's not just for homosexuals to believe that. I mean, the people in the church believe the exact same lie, and it just fleshes out differently. Follow your heart. What's good for them is good for them. You know, whatever makes you happy. 
uh, dearly held positions that are all based on lies. Ideas have consequences. Now, those consequences may not show up immediately, and in fact, I don't think they normally do. I, I think, you know, you normally, uh, and, and really Satan kind of wants it to work out later so that those ideas kind of get rooted in there, and you're, you're clinging to them and not seeing anything bad happen, and the destruction sort of downstream. But eventually, belief in a lie is destructive. Uh, next. This isn't directly related to the point Paul's making because he's using it as an illustration, uh, but it is implied nonetheless, and it has to do with our children. Our children are like small ships without rudders. At best, our children are like small trees with shallow roots. Uh, many are closer to tumbleweed than they are you know, closer to small trees. So the waves and the wind of false teaching, children are easily swept away. And as parents, we have to be aware of this. Uh, we are responsible, biblically, to diligently teach our children the truth. And, and that includes diligently expo- exposing every lie that we become aware of that is not consistent with the truth. Because we're responsible to oversee and lead our children's growth and maturity in Christ. Well, how does one grow into maturity? By growing deeper and higher in the truth. Um, this means exposing the lies in the things that they watch, in the things that they listen to, in the things that people say, even if they're family members, in the things that are embedded in their curriculum at school. Uh, an example I thought about, and you know, you might scoff, but I think if you think about it, it's uh, a good point. The song, let's say the song Happy by Pharrell comes on. And it's a fun song with a catchy little tune. Um, because it is, they know the words. And those words are harmless, right? No. I mean, there's no cursing, but the only harmless words are true words. The only harmless ideas are ideas that are consistent with the truth. And in fact, I would tell you that that song preaches a destructive lie. The kind of human cunning and crafty, deceitful scheme that Satan draws up to toss immature Christians to and fro to carry away carry them away with false teaching. Just listen to the chorus. Clap along if you feel like happiness is the truth. Clap along if you know what happiness is to you. Clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. Your happiness equals truth, so whatever makes you happy, do that. Does that sound familiar? Again, I think that is one of the root lies that has created this cultural sewage. And our our responsibility with our children from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed is to expose the lies and teach them the truth, to protect them while they're still, at best, small trees with with shallow roots so that one day they too can stand firm uh, with a discerning mind and, you know, in the truth. Next. Um, Yeah. Before we move on to your next point, uh, while... I mean, obviously, that's really relevant to all of us. I think that's a subset of who Paul's really talking about here, which is just the spiritually mature. You know, obviously, physical kids are spiritually mature, yeah. but he's also talking about adults, too. So kind of to Clint's point, I mean, anyone who's immature in the faith is like a little ship tossed about. And you're right. Be very careful about you know, how we're guiding them. And you're right. And, and I think that means, you know, it's like, well, so are you saying there's nothing we can learn from non-Christians? I don't believe that at all. I think there's lots to be learned from non-Christians. I do, however, think that 
there are uh, degrees of maturity, and at certain, let's call it, I'm just saying lesser degrees, I don't mean to say lesser, but you're, you're closer to infancy than mature manhood in your Christian life, you need to be a whole lot more guarded in the way that you're exposed to these things than someone who has a discerning mind and can think through these issues. Mm-hmm. No, and I think there's a part of me that becomes really practical. 35-year-old Jessica's got it figured out. Mm-hmm. 25-year-old Jessica didn't. But at 25, if you had asked me, I had it, I had figured, it figured out. out. So 35-year-old Jessica's practical, thinking she understands mm-hmm. the ways of God and how things work. Or 45-year-old Jessica's going to look back and go, she is an idiot. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important that we don't feel like we're spiritually mature, mm-hmm. they're reminded every day that we our roots are shallow mm-hmm. because we're sinful, and that's probably going to be the case until the day we die, Right. to continue to think, I don't know it all, and seeking out truth, because yes, I need to guide my children, but I see every day that I feel greatly of that, mm-hmm. my sin is exposed, and I'm more often saying, I screwed up again, versus right. unwise, you're not, right. um, type of attitude, and I think... I love that it was talking about when we're all unified one day in Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the only time that we're all going to understand clearly and be unity as one. There's not going to we're not going to see eye to eye, and I still have a lot more mm-hmm. um, growth to do. You know. I'm with you. Took my last point. The I'm comfort sorry. of the passage. No. <laughs> <laughs> the comfort of the passage is that there is one day going. You can look out and be discouraged, and you know that you know. But we are heading towards that day when all we are united in truth. I guess the question is, how do we rightly move forward, uh, understanding what we know about ourselves and our own propensity for immaturity, and that the thing that drives disobedience are lies. And so we have to at least be able to know the truth and, in light of the truth, expose the lies so that we flee from them. Next, um, another implication of the passage that I think jumps out is unity is pursued by fighting for truth. Uh, On the last day when we attain that unity that Ephesians 4 speaks of, the chief hallmark of our unity will be that we are united in the truth. The unity of the faith. The unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. Again, unity in a particular body of truth. Of course, we could say it another way. Unity in Christ. You know, but He is the truth. Um, and in the, on, in the meantime, the only right way to move forward is to fight for truth. Uh, and again, that doesn't just mean affirming what is true. It also means exposing the lies. So, you know, it's just the, the thing uh, of the hour. But why all the ruckus about gay marriage? Well, because gay marriage is a lie. And part of what we have to do is, you know, wake from our slumber and say, hey, that's a lie. You know, that's not consistent with this. Uh, well, why don't we just put aside our differences and build unity in the things that we can agree on? You know, it sounds pretty noble, but there's a big problem because there is no unity to be had at all outside of what is true. Uh, All true unity is established in the truth. The person that has abandoned the truth is actually the person that has abandoned any attempt at true unity. Now, the world says exactly the opposite. They say that we are the ones that have abandoned any attempt at unity. Of course they do, because their lives are driven by false teaching, human cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes. But the person that has abandoned the truth is the person that has abandoned any attempt at unity 
they they may find themselves with some perceived sense of unity outside of the truth, but it's only an illusion. And any perceived unity is only temporary because they are indeed on the path of disunity and destruction. Uh, And I'm not just talking about people living the lifestyle. I'm talking about everyone believing the lie. Uh, Next, I think that our text stands as a firm rebuke to just the modern American church. Um, Some of you may have, and I'm going to bring that closer to home, but some of you may have attended Dr. Young's systematics class yesterday. Uh, and he starts that by really a call to just think, to think through the truth. And he says one of the great problems in the church today is that simply uh, the church is largely unthinking. Uh, even the conservative church, largely unthinking. And it's not just that we have to think, that's half the battle. We have to think about all things true and think about everything in light of what is true. Um, so here are a couple examples that the conservative church, even the conservative church, is, is unthinking. Uh, just look at the most popular books of the last few years. You know, a few years ago, and hold your gasp if it is a gasp that you have. Some of you won't, but you might. Uh, a few years ago, The Shack was the most popular book. And uh, millions devoured it. Millions hailed it as the revelation from God and about God that they always needed. Um, many and conservative Bible-believing churches gobbled it up. And while there are some things in the book that are just fine, there are also many false teachings, human cunning, crafty, deceitful schemes, kind of couched in, you know, comfortable, in a comfortable setting. Um, they may not destroy things right away, but the devil, again, doesn't want to destroy things right away. He's craftier than that. He, he just wants to get the plumb line a little bit off so that the effects will be gradual, but no less destructive downstream. Uh, about that, if you want to read a solid review of The Shack, Tim Challey's review, you can Google that. It's, I think, objective and fair and kind and good. Um, another one, and I'm, you know, I might step on some toes, but that's okay. The most popular Christian book in like nine different versions in our day is Jesus Calling. Now, I want to read you a little bit from the introduction of Jesus Calling. This is probably one of the older versions, but uh, uh, let's see. I'm going to read like, you know, two little paragraphs. During that same year, this is the author describing her journey to writing this. During that same year, I began reading God Calling, a devotional book written by two anonymous listeners. Uh, These women practiced waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they received from Him. The messages are written in the first person with I designating God. While I was living in Japan, someone had mailed this book to me from the U.S. I had not read it at the time, but I had held on to the book through two international moves. Six or seven years later, this little paperback became a treasure to me. It dovetailed remarkably well with my longing to live in Jesus' presence. The following year, I began to wonder if I too could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I had been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen to God with pen in hand, writing down whatever I believed He was saying. I felt awkward the first time I tried this, but I received a message. It was short, biblical, and appropriate. 
It addressed topics that were current in my life, trust, fear, and closeness to God. I responded by writing in my prayer journal. The point that I want you to, and from her own words, is she says, I know God communicates with us in the Bible, but that wasn't good enough for me anymore. I wanted more. I wanted to know what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Now, I think calling it living in Jesus' presence makes it sound you know, pretty pious, but the reality is, to say it strongly, that entire devotional is based on belief in a lie. Belief that God's Word is not sufficient. That God does not communicate with us personally through His Word. That's not true. Now, look, if I thought that everyone had read the introduction, had read flags, and had gone about that devotional with serious skepticism and a discerning eye throughout, maybe I wouldn't say anything. But I don't think that's been the response to that book. And I think it needs to be addressed. Um, At the very least... The two most popular Christian books of the last few years are dangerous. I think they're uh, sly and deceptive. So, how do we grow in discernment? Uh, We get equipped in the truth. We get built up in God's Word. A couple weeks ago, Will Savelle asked uh, that question, how does one go about getting equipped uh, and built up? And I'll kind of run back through to close the, the things that we talked about. But one is the corporate means of grace, the regular uh, preaching and teaching and receiving of the Word of God that I think is very undervalued in terms of our equipping and being built up. Um, It's just the normal means by which we listen to the Word from the Lord in His Word. And uh, so I I guess the challenge would be just to make better use of that time. Whatever it is that needs to be done, you know, I'm not... I don't like to necessarily follow along in the Bible when someone reads because I'm flipping around and then I'm not paying attention. For me, it's easier to kind of look up and listen or whatever. Just figuring out whatever it is to make better use or best use of the corporate means of grace, to become good hearers and listeners. Um, Maybe later in the week, taking the things that were talked about and revisiting and meditating and praying through those things. Another thing, just in light of our text, God gave some to equip the rest, but seeking out uh, shepherds and teachers around here, whether elders or pastors or uh, people on staff or mature believers in this class that um, you know are there for you, someone you look up to and you say, hey, what about this or how do I navigate this? Um, you know, individual devotion to God and in His Word and in prayer. Every day, reading chunks of God's Word, thinking through what you find there in relation to your life, in relation to the world, as Psalm 1 says. I mean, this is the way to that rootedness and maturity is meditation on the Word day and night. You say, well, I had someone ask me this week, you know, I've, I try to read the Bible, but it just doesn't feel personal. And it doesn't feel, it's not clicking. So what do I do? And you know, the uh, best thing I know how to tell you to do is just keep going back every day. Say a prayer, Lord, open my heart and mind to Your Word. Open Your Word to me. And when you, when you finish, try to grab hold of something that you've read. Pray it back to God. Even if you feel nothing, I bet if you do that day and night for six months, uh, things will change. Another thing we talked about is getting in a group of mature believers. Um, you know, groups around here that are studying seminary level stuff. You do that for a couple years and uh, you devote yourself to the study. I guarantee you, you come out on the other end of that 
which with a much better handle on things in the Scriptures and a much more discerning eye. Or maybe a ladies' Bible study that's about to start up. Um, you know, three options, good ways to just engage the truth and, and be built up, um, growing in our discernment. Or if you're a guy, you're welcome to come. I lead a little Tuesday morning men's group, 6.30 in the senior high room. Um, we're just reading through books of the Bible together. And it's really not much to it. We read, we discuss, we pray. It's been a very rich time for me personally. But I, if you came to that for one year, I guarantee you that at the end of that year, you'll have a much better grasp on the truth and application to your life. Um, and, and to close just from our passage, what Jessica said, the comfort in all of that, it's very disorienting to look out and, you know, we're not on the same page in this room all the time, much less in the church at large, and it can be just disorienting and discouraging, but the encouraging thing for me as I look at the passage is we will get there. There will be a day when every last Christian stands unified in the truth, and in the meantime, the fight is simply how are we called to move forward in pursuit of that unity? So um, that's good. What about... One more thought or question, and then we'll we'll go. I got a thought, Chris. Okay. Um, we were in Jimmy's systematic class yesterday. It was fantastic, and um, you know, I'm a simple man. I think about things simply, so I'll just kind of share my thought, and hopefully, some of you, you know, this will help. But uh, you know, I walked out of there, you know, affirmed that I really need to know why it is I believe what I believe. Uh, I need to be able to find it in Scripture. Scripture is sufficient to found all of that doctrine. I need to be able to discuss it with other Christians who view things differently. That builds that unity that we talked about today. And I also need to be able to discuss it with a non-believer who needs to hear the truth. That's the evangelism piece. But it all starts in founding my doctrine in Scripture and being willing to dig deep and study it. And that's something we all can do at each of our different levels of maturity, you know, it's, that's mm-hmm. a nonstop process of making sure we're always going back to Scripture and reforming those beliefs and making sure they're founded only in Scripture. Yeah, that's good. Very good. Go ahead, Angela. Uh, we're talking about personal and spiritual growth, and I'm thinking here about that. Might be, I have a question for you. Okay. Guys, folks, and it can sound a little childish, but maybe some moms with young children here would relate. But um, it's just hard to have a large chunk of time to mm-hmm. study God's Word. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking here, does it count if you're reading from the Bible to your kids and mm-hmm. trying to teach them the truth they mm-hmm. um, Or if you are working on a Bible verse, you know, want them to memorize and you're trying hard to memorize with them? Yeah. Does it count? You know, oh, absolutely. You know, and I would even say... I think really good meditation on the scriptures is trying to get to where you can explain it even to a child. And so I would tell you that's a great way to be thinking about the truth day and night. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's hard, very hard work to take the truth, to bring it out, organize it, and communicate it. Because with kids especially, you better be concise, you know. But I mean, to try to communicate deep biblical truths. And I think that's back to Jesus says, come like a child. I mean, 
even just to receive him and and his truth as a child. Um, but yes, it's a great way to meditate on the scriptures to try to communicate it to a child. You need to go. I need to go. Okay, I got to pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you for this day and thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Uh, from this second half of Ephesians, I don't know about everyone else, but I can be overwhelmed as we are focusing a lot on our responsibilities in the uh, indicatives, in, uh, um, I mean the imperatives into what we're called to do, and it's comforting to look back at uh, the things that, that you have declared uh, to be fixed in that we are saved and uh, we are yours, and even from the foundation before the foundation of the world, uh, you chose us and you sought us out and you rescued us and you uh, redeemed us. And Lord, we are thankful for your grace. We want to live empowered by your grace, the lives that you've called us to live. So help us to be rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith that we've been taught. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.